Therefore I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. This is Jonathan Smith, and welcome to the In His Grip radio broadcast. Join me for the next few minutes for old-fashioned singing and preaching. When you think you're about to lose grip on faith and life, remember this, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Good afternoon, listeners. It's great to be back this afternoon. We're going to be in Psalm chapter number 8 this afternoon. Psalm chapter number 8. And it says the title here, To the Chief Musician Upon Giddeth, a Psalm of David. So eight, ver- eight, nine verses here. We're going to read them. We'll get right into the study into Psalm chapter number 8. O Lord, our Lord. How excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, What is man, that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man, that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, and all the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is the name, is thy name in all the earth. So that's Psalm chapter number 8. And we're going to be looking at this afternoon, if you will, for a title, The Crown of of creation again the crown of creation we see here very clearly that david is the writer of this psalm and no doubt that the circumstances the 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 underlying here is uncertain okay we can't pin this down if you will to a certain event a certain time certain place in david's life Though some believe that it was written after David's victory over Goliath. We can't prove that, uh, but that is just believed. But regardless, the thought that David gives us here in this psalm is one that should not be uh, just pushed off just because we can't put it at what time it is in his life. It's got a very unique thought, the crown of creation. 
we know that David, <clears throat> he was a young man. And despite his youth, God used him as a boy to overcome a mighty Philistine, the giant Goliath. So it, that's why some people put it to this, because it is applicable. Again, we don't know if that was a time in his life or not. But suffice it to say, it does relate <clears throat> that Man, as small as he is, God can use him for great things. So in, in David, at that time in his life, when he was just a, a youth, when he was just a lad, if you will, defeated Goliath, that instead of being lifted up with pride at what he had accomplished in his life, in contrast, David had a spirit of humility and he gave God the glory before he killed Goliath and even after because he said he was doing it in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> so we can see uh, in the circumstances the spiritual truth that God sometimes will use the weak of the world to confound the mighty. We can see that time and time again throughout the scripture. And it's interesting how David <clears throat> opens up this psalm when he says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. So we can see that the greatness of God is not only the key of this chapter, but it is also the theme of this chapter is about how excellent the name of God is in all the earth. So we can see in Psalm chapter number 8 that it reveals that God is not only the creator of everything around us, but he's also the creator of man. And even though that nature in itself is so magnificent, since it is so beautiful, the crown of everything that he's ever created is man himself. And we know that man uh, used in, in, in general, if you will, um, is, is to cover all humans or human beings, not just uh, the, the male uh, and not the females. That's not what the, this passage is talking about. It is talking about humanity, all human beings, <clears throat> not the animals, not the trees, and not everything else. It is focused on the crown of creation, which is the man. Now, <clears throat> the moral must take precedence of the material, the eternal over the temporal, but man is always greater than anything that is materialistic, okay? So the moral is to take precedence of material things. Eternal things take over temporal things, but man is always greater than anything else that God has ever created. So we're talking about this afternoon, the crown of creation. So we got about uh, five little things we're going to look at in this chapter. The first thing is the training of the youth, the training of the youth. So we can see this in, in verse 2, where it talks about, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength. Now, 
I've already made this statement, that God can take the weak things that seem insignificant, that seem not important, that just seem as as nothing, if you will, and he'll use that very thing to confuse or confound, if you will, the wise. And he'll use that, the, the weak, to overcome the mighty. And we can just see that time and time again throughout Scripture, like I mentioned. But specifically, we see the Apostle Paul using this very truth when he's talking about the preaching of the cross. And we find that in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verses 18 through 29. I want to read that because it relates to this. But 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 29 He says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And we find that the theme there, and we find something that is recurring there, is that we're in in verse 2, we talk about the training of the young, how the mouth of babes and sucklings, hast thou ordained strength. So we can see where God can take something that is small, something that is weak, and make that the very thing to overcome the mighty, something that is so uh, insignificant to be bigger than the wisdom of the world, if you will. So when we look at the ending of verse 2, we can see that God, the Almighty, Even he has adversaries, those who oppose him, his purpose, and his providence. But the Lord will take the young to overcome the old. He will take the weak to outsmart the wise. He'll take the insignificant to master what is important. God meant it this way. He created man in that way. And no man can change the purpose 
of his crown of creation, which is man. So we see that the training of the young. Then we see the testimony of nature. You can look around. You, you, you can't say that there's not a God. You cannot say that God does not exist. You, you can't say that all this was just a big explosion and then everything just happened. It, it takes a special kind of stupid to believe something like that. It takes way more faith to believe something like that than to just believe that an almighty God spoke everything into existence. Psalm 19.1 states, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Now, someone said this, Nature is a glass which reflects the glory of God. Nature is a glass which reflects the glory of God. When we look at the heavens, when we look at the vastness of space, if you will, and we look at the beauty of the stars and, and the sun and the planets and everything that is, that is out there, we can see these details that are in nature that just overwhelmed the psalmist. The intricate workings of the universe is beyond our comprehension. Now, don't get me wrong, we're always learning. We're always uh, understanding things, and every time we learn something, we find something new. We'll never be able to comprehend creation that God was able to speak into existence, and that, that that's just, it, it is beyond our minds, if you will. Now, you would, you would say a God that can create such a universe that can make things so majestic and so uh, beyond man's comprehension, beyond man's reach, surely he wouldn't have time for little man. You know, but you know what? That's not the case. You know, God thinks more about man than he does the universe. You know, God became man so that he could restore us unto our original position. Adam was created by the hand of God. Something you think about. Do you realize that man is the only thing that God created with his own hands? Think about how important that is. God spoke everything into existence, but man God took out of the dirt in his hands, and he made God, I mean, he made man in the image of God. That tells you how much God thinks about his crown of creation, which is man. And the testimony of nature, you know, it reveals the glory of God. And, uh, and Jesus Christ reveals the grace of God. And through God coming down and becoming man himself is because he, he saw the need of redemption that we can be raised back to the same original condition uh, that Adam and Eve were in. We can look in verse number four of our chapter. It says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitedest him? So we can see that verse four, uh, it, said, it brings to our attention the weakness and the frailty of man. You know, it, it, the first feeling is one that where we are over 
empowered by the sense of man's insignificance. We are nothing when we look at, at the vastness of creation in, in our minds, but the testimony of nature, it reveals the glory of God, but man himself is the crown of creation. And when you see that, you will see how important you are in the eyes of God. So we come down to verse number five, and we see the testing of man. Now, man was created, like I mentioned before. He was created in the image of God, and he was made a little lower than the angels, which is what our passage tells us. Now, we know that in the Garden of Eden, he lived in a perfect world, a blissful world, until... The, the devil came in, he tempted Eve, and, he, and, and, and Adam, they both made that decision to eat of the fruit of the tree uh, of the garden. His position was changed that day, and it, was ne- it will never be the same again. Now, instead of being the friend of God, Adam became the enemy. Instead of running to God for fellowship, when God came down in the cool of the day, he ran from him because he was afraid. Now, this is not the way God created man. This is not what he intended. This is not what he wanted. And, but he was not willing that man would stay in that condition. Therefore, God, through Jesus Christ and through the cross, Man can be lifted out of the the mire, if you will. He can be lifted out of the sinking sand. His feet can now be placed back upon the solid rock. His, His position, if you will, can be reinstated back to being in fellowship with God. So we see the testing of man that we are frail, that we are weak, and we are prone to fall from where God intended us to be. But we can see the triumph of the master in the latter part of verse number five. So the first part, we see the testing of man. But the last part, the triumph of the master. I want you to notice the progression that we find in this uh, verse, if you will. When we look at uh, uh, verse number f- four, what is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou made him a little lower than the angels, and then look at this, and has crowned him with glory and honor. Now, when you look at that, you say, wow, that is something else. You know that the master, it says uh, in these verses four and five, you'll find these phrases, thou art mindful of him. Thou visitest him, thou hast made him, and then at the end part, thou hast crowned him. Now, when you think about this, this shows God's consideration towards man. God is mindful of us, knowing that we are just weak vessels, knowing that we are frail in our nature, but God is still mindful of us that he would come down and visit us. You say, what does that mean? That means that God was mindful of us that in our state of sin, that he sent his only begotten son to come into the world, he became flesh and lived a perfect life, that he visited us. This speaks not only of his consideration, 
but it speaks of his incarnation. And then we come down to where it says, Thou hast made him. And when you look at the progression here, he was mindful of us, that he would consider us. He visited us, that he would be have the incarnation to come down. And then we see that he made us. This is the regeneration. So we go from consideration to where we experience the incarnation of God. Then we can experience through the cross the regeneration that he has made us back to the position where we need to be. But then he says, thou hast crowned him, which is the glorification. So God was considerate enough of us that he would incarnate himself in the flesh, that he could regenerate us, that where he could crown us, or if you will, he would glorify us. God became the Son of Man in order that we might become the sons of God. Do you realize that through the cross he gave us the power to become the sons of God. Now, to a lot of people, that don't mean much. And people are like, well, why are you one of those that are King James only? Uh, because when you look at the other versions, they want to transfer all this stuff and take away the meaning. You know, uh, people say, well, I use the New King James, so I'm close enough. Look in your New King James and that verse where it says, to them gave ye the power to become the sons of God. You won't find it. Because in that it states, to them gave ye the right to become the sons of God. You don't have a right. I don't have a right. It is only through the power of God when he became the son of man. That is the only way that we can uh, take his consideration, his incarnation, to have the regeneration to become the sons of God that we might experience the glorification where he can crown us. So then you can see that the redeemed man, and it is the redeemed man, let me point that out, it is the redeemed man that is crowned king of all creation. Then we come down to the latter part of the chapter, which is the telling of God's might. You know, Adam uh, and, and the man's might as well, you can see. So Adam not only named all the animals in Genesis, but he was also given the power. So he had dominion over all creation. You know, when you think about that, you know, all the things that we're afraid of, uh, snakes and uh, maybe some, uh, you think dinosaurs or something like that, everything that God created was under the power and the dominion of Adam. God gave him that. He had all of that. But when he fell in the garden, when he sinned, he lost that dominion. But you know, the second Adam came. That is Christ. When he came in the flesh and lived the sinless and perfect life, he did that to reclaim everything that the first Adam lost. You know that the original purpose uh, of God for man is not, it has not been fulfilled because of sin. God created man for a purpose. God created man for a reason. But sin came in, put a wedge or put a halt, if you will, to the purpose of man for what he was created. Yet, that divine design, the divine design is not 
frustrated, for God himself has become man, and by the incarnation and sacrifice on Calvary, he was able to restore everything that had been lost. Now, once again, when we come back into the, the millennium, if you will, when we come back with Christ, we will have dominion over all. Now, we, we're not going to see that in our present lifetime. we got to go through the, the everything through the Bible as it, as it occurs in the book of Revelation. But, you know, God came back to restore order, and one day he's coming back, and we will rule everything. Everything will be under his and our dominion. So we can see that nature can reveal the power of God, but grace reveals the purpose of God. And you say, what is that? That's where the psalmist, he comes down and he looks and he says, man, what is man? That God would be mindful of us and that the Son of Man, which is Christ, would come down and visit us. He sees his position. He sees that we're not worthy of that. But even though that we're not worthy, even though that we're made a little lower than the angels, it says in verse 5, and this is kind of the theme of the chapter, if you will, is that God has crowned. I mean, you just have to think about that for a minute, that God would take time for somebody like you, for somebody like me, and he would crown you, he would crown me with glory and honor. Now, I don't have time to get into this thought this afternoon, but I want to go back and just kind of summarize at the end of our study of Psalm chapter number 8, the crown of creation. Uh, I I want to uh, repeat what a preacher friend of mine said that, he brought to my attention and, and reminded me through uh, something that we were talking about, and then he, he goes around and preaches, is do you realize that you are the only thing that God created with his hands? Now, I know that we're not Adam, but man, mankind, if you will, is the only thing God created with his hands. And when you think about that, that everything else was spoken to existence, that shows you how important you are to God. And then we could tie in uh, Romans chapter number 12. And it says, I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your what? Your body. And when we look at that, and we could tie all this stuff in together, that the crown of creation, despite of our uh, a weakness, despite of our youth, despite of our insignificance, you know God can use you to do impossible things. God can use you to do great things because he likes taking the weak. Let me re- repeat some of this stuff. He likes taking the weak to outsmart the wise. He likes taking the youth to overcome the old. He likes the insignificant to master the important. But the way that God can do that, it says that he crowned us in honor and glory. Now, many times God cannot use man. And you say, why is that? It's because he is not willing to present himself, his body, to God. We, we emphasize so much of Romans 12 Verse 2, to be not conformed to the world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
But if you believe like I do, the Bible is in order. Everything in the Bible happens exactly the way it should be. We're so focused on uh, on trying to have somebody to not look like the world, to dress like the world. We, we can't even get step one, which is to present our bodies. You know your body is not yours. You're, if you are a child of God, you were purchased with a price. Just like I wouldn't come into your house and just trash the inside of it. And I wouldn't trash the outside of it. I would respect your home because it is not mine, it's yours. But we will disrespect the crown of creation. God thinks so much about the creation of man that we forget sometimes that we are not ours. We are purchased with a price, and God can use us to do great things, but the very first thing, we have to present ourselves. We go back to David. He presented himself. He was willing. He was able. He was able to overcome Goliath despite what everybody else thought. Why is that? Because he presented his body. May God help us to present our bodies to be the crown of creation that God can have joy in because he thought so much of us that he called us the crown of creation. We have now come to the end of our time today. I hope and pray that today's broadcast was a help and blessing to you. If you wish to contact me, you can email me at inhisgrip at inbox.com. Again, that is inhisgrip at inbox.com. But before I go, I just want to remind you one more time that you are in His grip. Isaiah 41.13 says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Join us at the same time next week for more old-fashioned singing and preaching. I am Jonathan Smith, and thank you for tuning in. You have been listening to the In His Grip radio broadcast.